0: You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2023 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this uh, this group and this camp meeting and and for the blessed message that you have given us. Uh, what a what a beautiful calling that we have in these last days. And to be a part of your of your remnant people to to have received uh, this this message, this commission, Lord, it's uh, it's humbling and it's heavy at the same time. Lord, I pray that you'll find us faithful, because in the end of it all, Father, what we want to know is that we put a smile on your face. This afternoon, Father, we're going to study the Word of God, and we dare not do that without the Spirit of the Lord. This is uh, these are sacred things, Lord. And so I ask, Father, that You will will be present, that You will be here, that You will open our hearts and minds so that we may understand the Word. And Father, once again, speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a valley that sits between two mountains. On the one side is the Philistine army gathered in battle array. And on the other side, you have Israel, and they've marched together as well, ready to ready to fight. And from the outside, it looks like just any ordinary battle. If you were just kind of looking on the outside in, you would say, yeah, this, this is the way they fight. But this is a totally different war. A war has not been fought like this before. The Philistines have decided that they, they want to employ a, a different tactic. Instead of everybody just marching down into the valley and, and letting all the guys come together and take their swords and beat each other, they've decided that they're going to pick a champion. One one champion. And he's going to march down, and he's going to challenge Israel. We find the story in First Samuel chapter 17. Hope you have your Bibles with you because I didn't bring slides for this. And if you don't have your regular Bible, then pull out your electronic Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. 1 Samuel 17, beginning at verse verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sokka, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokka and Azekah and Ephes-Demim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. Verse 3. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now there's some discussion, some disagreement between the scholars of, of what exactly six cubits in a and a span is. If you look at Wikipedia which is the authoritative information for anything that you ever wanted to find. Do you remember the the old uh, encyclopedias? Yeah. We we were really poor when I grew up um, living in Miami, but I, I remember that the local grocery store, if you did X amount of groceries, they would give you like uh, an encyclopedia book for really, really cheap. I can't remember what that cost was, $1.99 or whatever. And so for a matter of uh, of a year or so, we would we would collect one book at a time until eventually we had that whole entire set. I, I, I miss that set, actually, because I, I love having the book in front of me. and It's not like the Internet is, is, is not fantastic. It's, it's a great thing, but I'd rather just open the pages and turn the pages. And, uh, but now we have Wikipedia. We can just uh, click, and, and here it is. Wikipedia, here's what it says. According to the Dead Sea Scrolls, the first century historian josephus and the septuagint which is the greek interpretation of the hebrew manuscripts it suggests that he was 9 feet 9 inches tall 9 feet 9 inches tall now thank you sir now that's um that's that's tall i mean if a guy came in today and he was 9 feet 9 inches you would know that i've i've seen some guys walk into to um i mean not nine, not uh not nine feet nine inches, six foot nine inches. Sorry, six foot nine inches. Uh, I've seen some guys that are about six nine or so walk into the into the into the airplane. It's always very very uncomfortable. It's kind of just kind of like this thing, you know. And, um, my my son, I don't know where he got it from. Well, he got it from my 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 mom my, my wife's side. Um, he's now six three, and now I have to look up to my son. I never thought I'd have to just literally look up to him, but now I do. Uh, he was at Southern last year for the, for the first time and he went to that summer session. They do that little, you know, get together, get to know everybody summer session. And, and he walked into, what was it called? Smart Start. Start. Yeah, he went to Smart Start. And, um, and he walked into the cafeteria the very first time and some kid looks at him and says, How tall are you? He's just 6'3. So if a guy that came in and was 6'9, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty tall. But it's not, it's not really that tall. Now, the Masoretic text, which is the authoritative Hebrew and Aramaic text of the twenty-four books of the Hebrew Bible? It presents him as nine feet nine inches. There's the nine foot nine inches. Now that's tall. I mean, how, how tall is this? Is this ceiling? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he'd he'd be he'd be right, right on top of that ceiling. If that guy walked in, we'd be like, oh yeah, he's he's pretty big. Yeah. He he doesn't he doesn't drive an electric vehicle. he's, he's big. And and then, if you look at Signs of the Times, August 3, 1888, she says he's 10 and a half feet tall. That's pretty big. And for some reason, and we won't know this until we get to heaven, and we'll ask Ellen White why there's a little bit of a discrepancy here. Um, You know, usually I find that discrepancies are just the angle that we looked at things, but at any rate, in Volume 1 of the Spirit of Prophecy, page 370, she says that he was 12 foot tall, or approximately. Around 12 feet tall. So somewhere between 10 and a half and 12 feet tall, uh, we can just kind of leave it at that. That's pretty big, either way. Whether you're 10 and a half or you're 12 feet tall, you're you're just just a really, really big dude. And he was big enough that he had Israel quaking in their in their boots. But here's the thing. And and many people don't, don't realize this, but Israel was not the only army that was quaking in their boots. The Philistines were scared too. This is out of the Spirit of Prophecy, page 370. The Philistines dare not venture their large armies against Israel as they had heretofore done, fearing they would be overcome and fall before Israel. They are ignorant of the weakness of Israel. They know not that Saul and his people have great anxiety and they dare not commence the battle with them. But the Philistines propose their own manner of warfare in selecting a man of great size and strength whose height is about 12 feet and they send this champion forth to provoke a combat with Israel, requesting them to send out a man to fight with him. You see, the Philistines had had heard of all of the all of the things that the God of Israel had done—the uh, whole story of coming out of Egypt and all of the miracles and the defeats and in, in in the Canaanite world—and they'd heard of all of these things, and they'd probably also heard of the times that God would would uh, would would bring justice against Israel. But how would you know? How would you know if God is really mad with Israel at this time or if he's really happy with Israel at this time? Do you do you send your entire army down that valley and risk that God is on their side? And so they're sitting there thinking, what, what can we do? We've got to change something up. And they decide, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick the biggest, baddest man we can find put all kinds of armor on him and send him down that valley and then they have to produce their giant. They're not going to be able to match him. And he's going to, our giant, he's going to win. It has has to work. And honestly, it's not not a bad plan. It's not a bad plan at all. Here's uh, here's what Ellen White continues saying in page uh, page 370 of the Spirit of Prophecy. Saul knows not what to do he imagines Israel as Philistines' slaves. He can see no way of escape. In his trouble, he offers great reward to any who will slay the proud boaster, but all feel their weakness. They have a king, and listen to this, they have a king whom God does not instruct, who dares not engage in any perilous enterprise, for he, for he expects no special interposition from God to save his life. Isn't that a pitiful place to be? What a horrible place to be, to not expect God to fight for you. As Israel had been partakers with him in transgression, he had no hope that God would work specially for them and deliver them out of the hands of the Philistines. The armies of Israel seemed paralyzed with terror. They could not trust in their king, whom they had demanded of God. First Samuel chapter 17 Continuing verses 5 through 7. Verses 5 through 7. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And if you look that up on, on, on the computer, some say it's about 125 pounds. 125 pounds of a coat. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now, the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And you know that weaver's beam that, that, uh, that goes on top of a loom? It's about two, in, two inches, maybe two and a half inches in, in diameter. That's, that's how thick this, uh, this, uh, this uh, beam that he's holding is. Uh, it's a spear, that's what it is. Looking for my word. And his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, which is about 15 pounds. And a shield bearer went before him. It doesn't tell us how, how heavy the shield was, how big it was. It doesn't tell us how big his sword was. We know he has a sword. We also know that David eventually used that sword. So eventually David grows up and he's, he's got to be a bit of a giant himself if he's gonna, if he's actually gonna use that sword to fight with. Verse 8. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you, the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words the Philistines of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, right about now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, these guys, these guys are a bunch of cowards. I mean, you know, here they are. They're, they're blessed by God and they're, they're refusing to go down. But let me give them the benefit of the doubt for a minute. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt because Israel had its own giant. Who was that giant? It was Saul. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 10. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 10. So God has selected Saul. And they're looking for Saul, but they can't find him. So they inquire of the Lord, and, and the Lord says he's, he's hiding amongst the stuff. And, and that's interpreted as the, as the furniture. Why is there, why there's furniture a bunch out there? I have no idea. But anyway, he's hiding among, amongst the furniture. And so verse 23, it says, So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. So Saul was taller, head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And there was no one like him in all of Israel. This is who's God, who God has chosen. God, God didn't just choose some, some chump. He, he, he chose the best they had. He is, he is what, what, what God was going to bless and make king over Israel. And God would have blessed him. In fact, if you read the story, we're told that God gave him a new heart. He could have walked with God. He could have been a powerful king for the Lord. But instead, he, he, was, he was proud. He looked at, at his own strength. You remember Saul's accomplishments in first Samuel chapter, chapter eleven. Turn there first Samuel chapter eleven. Beginning of verse one. Now then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash. Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out, put out all of your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. Real nice guy, right? Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off for seven days, that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. And It's really interesting. This guy either either was really proud or Israel was so weak during this period of time that nobody really thought they were going to be able to, to bring reinforcements. Because if I was the one leading that army and, and they had said, you know, uh, let us go get reinforce, reinforcements, that, that tells me that they're, they're conquered and I might as well just take them now. He doesn't do that. He says, okay. Verse 4. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news and the hearing of the people and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field, and Saul said, What troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. Verse 7, So he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces, and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of the messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. When he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were there, 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. And they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, to the men of Jabesh and they were glad. Verse 10, Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. When God chose a king, he didn't choose some weakling. He chose a warrior. He chose someone who could lead the people. And that's exactly what he did. You remember the, the, uh, The song that, that the women would sing when David would go out and come back to battle, from battle, they'd say, Saul has killed his thousands. Now, yeah, it it does pale in comparison to David's 10,000, but remember, it is a song. And, and, and number two, if you've killed your thousands, that's, that's pretty good. You're, you're, you're a pretty good warrior as well. This was not a weakling. This, this was a man that had the power to lead the people, the wisdom to lead the people, the strength to be a warrior, that's who God chose. He wasn't a slacker. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, David was the son, this is verse 12. Now, David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Verse 16, And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Pretty, pretty intelligent dad. I mean, if, you're, if your kids are going to be in the army, you, you might as well uh, treat the captain of, of the army really, really well. Verse 19, now Saul, and they all, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting, with the Philistines. First Samuel 17, looking at verse 28 now. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? Remember that that part. David has has come out and he's done as his father wanted him to do, and he's he's given out the cheese to the captains, and he's brought the food, and he's and he's now looking for his brothers. He's probably asking around, because it's a big Israelite army. He's, He's got to got to find these guys, and and right about then, you can imagine how how uh, how the scene went. All of a sudden, he he hears commotion. He sees the the men lining up, and he and he looks on the other side, and the Philistine army has lined up, and, and then he sees this this giant uh, start walking down. He's trying to think of him, to himself. I'm I'm gonna guess, uh, you know, what 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 exactly is is going on here? This is a little strange, but. But I, I can only imagine that as a boy, he's probably pretty excited. You know, I, I got here in time. I, I'm, I'm here to see the battle. Oh, this is going to be really, really exciting. I'm going to see the battle. I'm going to see God's army run down, and, and, and we're going to gain a great victory. I mean, I couldn't have picked the best time to come. And then all of a sudden, he hears this, this giant, and and the giant is, is cursing the God of Israel he's looking around thinking, oh, he's going to get it now. But nobody moves. Nobody. I can imagine that that he finds his brother and he goes to Eliab. Eliab! Eliab! Did you hear that? Did you hear what that man said? Go down there. Go down there and defeat him in the power of God. Go home, Daniel. Or David. Go home. You don't belong here. You're a little boy. Go home. He goes to Abinadab. Abinadab? Hey, listen, I have no idea what's going on with Eliab. He's he's lost his mind, but don't worry about him. You go down. You go down and fight the giant. You can do this. God is with you. David, you you don't know what you're talking about. man. Shama. Shama, it's your turn. Our brothers won't stand up. You go down. God will give you victory. Go home, David. Go home. This is no place for a boy. Reading on. Eliab says, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride in the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him towards another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first one did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Now remember that this is not the first time that David has been around King Saul. He's well acquainted with the palace. He's well acquainted with Saul. Saul had left God, and uh, the leaders of of Israel were looking for someone to calm him down when he went into his his angry state, and they found David, the harp player. And so he probably was well aware of who he needed to talk to in order to get a message to the king. And whoever he chose to talk to, it worked really, really well, because before you know it, he is actually... Before the king, and I, I kind of, as I think of this story, I kind of, I kind of think of uh, Daniel chapter two. You remember Daniel chapter two, as uh, Nebuchadnezzar has gone nuts and and he's going to have all of the wise men, and astrologers, and soothsayers and uh, magicians, all of these guys killed, and Dave, uh, Daniel wasn't there, and and uh, but. All of a sudden, the captain of the guard finds Daniel, tells him what he's going to do, and Daniel says, take me to the king. And remember remember how that story goes? He goes to the king. Oh, king, live forever. I have found a man. I can imagine that this story of David is kind of the same thing as they come to, to King Saul. Oh, king, live forever. I have found a man that will fight Goliath. Well, just don't stand there, man. Bring him in. David? My little musician, harp player, David, you're going to fight Goliath. You can't fight Goliath. You're but a boy. Here's David's response in verse 32 of chapter 17. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth, and when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. And Saul said to David, Go. Go. And the Lord be with you now here's where I want to take a little bit of preacher liberty because i I really don't think that it could have been that easy I mean you know think about think about how when when we want to get something accomplished in the church right we come up to the pastor and we have this great idea hey pastor' i'd, I'd, I'd love to 'd love to be able to do this and and, and the pastor says, that's a fantastic idea. That is a really, really good idea. Here, here's what we're gonna do. Listen, I'm gonna call the elders. We're gonna talk a little bit about this and we're gonna get a subcommittee going and that subcommittee is gonna meet on this and, and then they're gonna report back to me. And when they report back to me, then we'll, we'll get back together. And we'll see it. We'll take it to the board. The board's gonna think about it. It's gonna send it back to the elders. It's gonna send it back. There is nothing that we can do in the church that doesn't have tons of red tape. I mean, we can't get anything done. And there's nothing new under the sun. And I, I can only imagine that, that, it had to be a little harder than, than just hey I've killed the lion and I've killed the bear and, and I can go see uh, kill the Goliath too oh, okay you you go do that I, I can't imagine it's that easy I think maybe it 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 went something something like this oh King there is there's there's a man at the at the at the, at the tent that, that needs to speak to you well don't you see we're busy we're talking about we're talking about the giant David's gonna gonna fight the giant I I, I know sir I know sir but it's it's Eliab it's his oldest brother. He, he wants to speak to you. Well, fantastic. Same family. Send them in. These are brave, brave folks. Oh, King, live forever. Listen, I, I just need a minute with my brother. A minute? We, we, we don't have a minute. We, we gotta, I, I know. So, listen, I'm his oldest brother and, and, and he's about to fight the, the giant. I, I just need one minute. Just one minute, sir. Okay. Okay. I'll give you one minute, but just one minute. Don't take long. David, David, what are you thinking, man? Have you lost your mind? I mean, David, I, I know I was mad with, at you just a few minutes ago. And, and, and listen, we used to play in the field with the sheep and we'd take sticks and we'd beat each other with these sticks. But, but this isn't, isn't a game anymore. This, this is not those old days. You can't just walk up to that giant with your walking stick. He, he's going to feed it to you for lunch. Listen, you just need to go home. Go home. I'll tell, I'll tell him that dad, dad said that you couldn't fight the giant. Just go home. I'll make something up. And, you know, what's interesting about that is I I, I can understand if Eliab had said something like that. It makes a lot of sense because everybody knew this was a suicide mission, but, but David. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. This is verse 38. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, "I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them." So David took them off. Well, what, what does that mean? What does it mean that he had not tested them? I mean, does it does it mean that he had he'd never tried on armor in the past? I mean, I can understand that. How many of you uh, have ever seen sheepherders wearing armor? I mean, that's that's not a that's not a normal scene. And, and, and maybe it just means he hasn't practiced with them. Well, that makes sense too. I mean, the last thing you want to do is go, go against this giant and trip over your metal boot and just be sitting there flailing on the ground. That would be a horrible end. But, but I honestly think it, it's, it's deeper than that. I, I, I think it, I think it has to mean something else. And I imagine, I imagine something like this. Eliab is now part of the whole discussion with, with King Saul. And, and David has has marched out with with the armor, and now he's marched back in. He's taken it all off, and he and he says, "I I, I can't I'm, I can't wear it. Thank you, King, but I can't wear this stuff. Why why can't you wear this stuff? I, I just I, I haven't tried this stuff. I I just can't I just can't wear it. Listen, David, this is Eliab speaking. Listen, David, man, I I don't know if you understand the situation. Look out at this guy. Look look at him." Look how, look how, how big he is. Look at, at the armor that he has. You know what we need, David? We need one of those. That's what we need. We need, we need the biggest guy we can find. We need modern technology like he has. We need the modern methods that they have. We need what they have. David, if we had one of those, we would be able to conquer, but we don't have one of those, and all we have is this armor for crying out loud, wear the armor, at least it'll give you a couple of seconds to say your prayers before he kills you. And if that sounds familiar, it's because it is. Because we live in a time, and maybe we even have said it, that we look around us and we say, you know what we need? We need what they've got. We leave, live in a, in, a, in a post-modern time, in a post-modern time, in a post-Christian time. We live in a society that's secular. And, and what we need is, is, is what they have out there. If, if we had the technology that they had, if we had the method that, we had, that they had, if we, if we would change our message, then we would be able to preach the everlasting gospel. And every single time we hear that, we're listening to the Eliats. Listening to the Saul's. We're listening to the naysayers. You can't fight that giant. You can't have success. Something deeper to that that armor. Alfred Edersheim in Bible History, Old Testament, Volume 4. He writes this, Once more thoughts of the past must have crowded in upon Saul. There was that in the language of this youth which recalled the strength of Israel which seemed like the dawn of another morning, like a voice from another world. But if you went to to the combat, let it be at least in what seemed to Saul the most fitting and promising manner arrayed in the king's own armor, as if the whole meaning of David's conduct, nay, of the combat itself and of the victory had not lain in the very opposite direction, in the confessed inadequacy of all merely human means for every such contest, and in the fact that the victory over Goliath must appear as the Lord's deliverance achieved through the faith of a personal, realizing, conscious dependence on him. And so Saul's armor must be put aside as that which had not been proved, in such a contest of which the champion of the Lord had never made trial in such encounters and of which he never could make trial. A deep-reaching lesson this a deep-reaching reaching lesson, this to the church and to the believers individually, and one which bears manifold application, not only spiritually, but even intellectually. The first demand upon us is to be spiritual, the next to be genuine and true, without seeking to clothe ourselves in the armor of another. Here's what he's saying. This battle was not, was not going to be won by man. It was going to be won by the power of God. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 says, It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. This fall, you're going to be working evangelism. That's not going to succeed because of what you're able to bring to the table. In fact, you can't bring anything to the table. We've got nothing to offer, except our brokenness. If you want to see success in evangelism, if you want to see success in church growth, it's going to have to be through the power of God. Satan has surrounded us with giants, and God has told us not to worry about those giants. We go in the power of God. It doesn't matter how secular they are. It doesn't matter what kind of technology they have. It doesn't matter what they're used to. The reality is that God has already gotten there. He's already working on these individuals' lives. All we have to do is go out and find those that God is already working with. Verse 40 of chapter 17. Then he took a staff in his hand and he chose for himself... Five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch, which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistines. I imagine that at some point <laughs> David just gets, gets frustrated with the whole thing and he's like, Hey guys, this is, this is fantastic. This conversation that you guys are having, this, uh, all this technical thing and, and meth, uh, this is, this is great. Listen, you guys just keep talking here. You just, you keep working it out. I'm going to run down this hill really quick and I'll be right back. Sometimes that's what has to happen. Verse 41 So when the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him, and when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistines, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Do you believe there's a God in Israel today? Friends, there's still a God in Israel, and He has promised victory. He said the harvest truly is what? It's great. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that the harvest truly is great? It is. It is. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. Verse 48. So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistines. I love that part. He hurried and ran. Right now, we are hurrying and sitting in the church. We're we're just sitting around. We're we're waiting for Jesus to come. We're we're, we're saying, hey, Jesus is going to come soon. And when he does, here we are. We've held held the church fast. Lord, here it is. Here's the building. We We kept it well for you. The lights are on. The air is blowing. We've got nice hymnals that we don't use anymore because we put everything on the screen. We're sitting, friends. We're sitting instead of running. Now is the time to run against the giant. There's never been a better time to preach the everlasting gospel than right now. Everybody knows there's something going on. I was in a flight uh, just just a little while ago, and... This guy, the, the doors were about to close. This, uh, I'm I'm sitting back there, and there's a seat next to me. And when I see a seat next to me, and there's nobody in there, and and the doors about to class uh, close, I I think to myself, God's blessed me. You know, this is this is my makeshift first class, right? It's it's right there. I got nobody next to me. Well, all of a sudden, right at the end, this 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 big dude walks in and 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 runs. And, and, he, and he just happens to be sitting next to me. I thought, "Oh, mercy." And uh, he's on the phone, and I quickly realized that he and I don't play in the same playground. He says, uh, "Well, man, if you think he's got the hundred million, then let's do it, but he's got to have the hundred mil. All right, if you think, let's go ahead and go with the deal." He hangs up. <laughs> I thought, "He ain't a pastor. <laughs> So we take off, and, and as we're as we're flying, he he starts making conversation, and and he says, um, he says, "Yeah, man, I had to get out of there. I, and I always fly fly first class, but they didn't have first class, and so I I had to get the first flight out of here." And I said, "Well, why did you have to do that?" And he says, "Well, I work for a business that comes in and uh, and basically fires people. It's uh, it's where." Mergers happen or businesses, large corporations close. He's the guy that comes in, calls the employees in, says, hey, welcome to your job. You're fired. Here's your last check. And he had just done that to a to a big corporation. And so he needed the first flight out of there because there was a whole lot of folks that hated him in that town. And as we're flying, he looks at me and he says, listen, I'm not a Christian. In fact, I'm not a believer at all. I don't, I don't believe in, in, in the Bible and all that stuff. He says, but, I, but I've been traveling the world, and, and listen, there's got to be something happening in the world. I mean, do you think there's something happening? It's not right. Something is messed up in the world. Do you think that something is happening in the world? And I'm thinking, Lord, you've blessed me. <laughs> yeah, for a million dollars. You got 100 million? Everybody knows that there's something happening in the world, guys. Everybody knows that things aren't right. This world's coming to an end. They all know it. And we're sitting in our seats pretending that nobody's going to accept the message. I don't worry about people coming to the evangelistic meeting. They always come. You know who doesn't come to the evangelistic meetings? It's the Adventist. We won't come. We won't come. Even in Canada, I was talking to some of these folks, and they walk in, and they're, Pastor, wow, I mean, 30 days? Like, 30 whole days? Like, five days a week, 30 days? I mean, wow, that's a lot. You know that these people, once they go through the 30 days of, 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 of the meetings and at the end of these meetings, they're begging you to keep, keep, to keep doing meetings? They're like, oh, can't, it can't be done. I mean, it can't be over. We, 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 we just started. That's why we transition them to the churches, so that they can continue on. And we tell the pastors, be careful not to call this the end. It's not the end. We're just transitioning. But I, I wish our Adventists would, would understand that. I, I wish that, that our people would know how much how much this message means to those that haven't been in the message. One night I'm sitting there uh, at the end. Everybody has gone but one guy, older gentleman. He's, he's seated in a, in a chair. He's slumped over and. And so uh, his name was Emil. I said, Emil, you okay? He said, no, no. So I sat next to him, and and he looked at me, and he, he he was crying. He was weeping. He looked at me, and he says, my whole life, I've wasted my whole life. I didn't know this. And my body, he said, I've wasted my body. He's got all kinds of medical problems. People hear the message that we have. They just love it. We see the message and we're looking at our watches on Sabbath thinking, oh man, when's sunset going to be over? Oh, if we would know what we have. It is the fountain of life. This fall, you're going to share the fountain of youth to a world that is dying, guys. I believe Yeah, why wait? Do it now. I believe with all my heart that there are thousands of people around your communities that already come to the doors of your church. And you have to believe the same thing. Move forward with with great power. At some point, David runs up to this giant and he pulls the sword out. Because remember, David didn't have a a sword. He only had a, a sling and a... and a a staff, he pulls the sword out and he cuts the giant's head. And in my imagination, I can can see David holding that head up and looking up on the mountain. Hey guys, I'm not really sure what I was supposed to do now, but I got this one. (laughs) And the most amazing thing of the story happens at the end. I think the most powerful thing in the story happens in the end. The entire army of Israel run down the mountain. They pass David up. They pass him up. They run up the other side and they gain the victory for the Lord. You know know what we need? We need Davids. We need some Davids that will be willing to fight Goliath. All we need is just a few victories. A few of you that are willing to do it, that will say, you know what? No matter what, no matter how scared I am, no matter how much fear I have, no matter how much I think that people might not, no matter what, I'm going to go forward and fight the giant. Because when, when God sees people like you, He will empower you with the Spirit of God and He will give you the victory that He's promised. And when everybody else sees the victory that you've had, the entire army of God will come running. We can't help but have the entire army of God run forward. We have to have that in the last days. When we're talking about ladder rain power, that's the entire church moving forward in Revelation chapter 14.6 to preach the everlasting gospel to every, every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. We can't do it without all of the people of God. But in order for that to happen, I think it's going to be like the story of David and Goliath we're going to need a few faithful that are willing to run down the mountain and fight the giant. So my question for you today is, do we have any Davids here? Are you willing now, but also this fall? I don't know how many churches we have now. Um, we were hoping for more, I think. I don't know how many of your churches have committed to moving forward and, and, and preaching this fall. But I'm going to make an appeal, friends, if your church has not, has not decided to get involved. Well, two questions. One is, is why? And the second is why not now? I mean, Tanisha is, is supposed to be here. Tanisha, are you here? I don't see her. She's not here yet. She's flying in. Tanisha's going to be here for the next three days. We can sign you up. We can get you going. We can give you all the information you need. Do you have the courage to do it? Do you believe that God's going to bless? Do you believe that God will give you victory? That's what it's all about. Oh, but pastor, I don't have time. Make time. Make time. It's the, it's the most important thing in the world. We make time for all kinds of stuff, don't we? It's amazing how YouTube, you can watch a minute video on YouTube for three straight hours. Yeah. It's, it's just ama- it's amazing. We make time for all the things we want to make time for. How about the gospel of God? To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 2023 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.